This is LifeSpeak, a podcast about well-being, mental health, and building resilience through knowledge. Here's Marianne Weisenthal. I'm speaking today with Jenny Triansky. Jenny is an ICF credentialed and certified professional co-active coach, a mindfulness and self-compassion advocate. Jenny takes a whole person approach. She runs group and employee wellness seminars and works one-on-one with clients around the world, helping them tackle professional and personal challenges using resilience and self-compassion practices. Jenny joins me today from Toronto, Canada. Welcome back to the Life Speak podcast. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here. I always love engaging with Life Speak's audience and with you, Marianne. Well, we love talking to you. And I want to hear a bit more about something that you work with clients a lot and that I just mentioned. As a coach, you work with people to help them develop self-compassion. Now, what exactly is self-compassion? Self-compassion is a topic I'm very passionate about, so I'm, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to kind of geek out about it with you. And I'm not a self-compassion coach, but ultimately, it's become foundational to my work with all of my clients because my clients are usually coming from a starting point of admitting that they're really hard on themselves. They put a lot of pressure on themselves. They feel a sense of an internal fight. Most of them, when they come to me, they're not, it's not very peaceful inside. They really care deeply. So my clients tend to be people who they care so much about how they're living their lives, how they're showing up in their lives. And, you know, they care about what they do for work as much as they care about how they fix their personal lives um, and what's important to them in their lives. And so that tends to have them be hard on themselves because they just want to, they want to be good. They want to get it right. And although it actually is possible to reach our goals from a place of self-oppression or self-criticism or self-judgment, it doesn't feel very good. It's not a really nice way to live your life. And it doesn't really have us showing up as our best selves in our lives. And so I help people relate to themselves from a place of self-compassion. And it really is a mindset shift that allows us to motivate ourselves from a much kinder, realistic, and helpful place. So that's kind of how it shows up in all of the work that I do. And just so you know, I, you know, I don't consider myself even a self-compassion expert. I, I'm a student of, a perpetual student of. So there's a beautiful eight-week course through the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. Mindful Self-Compassion is the work of Dr. Kristen Neff and Dr. Chris Germer. And they are the gurus in the self-compassion space. And there's this amazing eight-week course that, that you can find online or even locally in a lot of places. But from that course completely changed my life and my work. And from there, I have engaged in a mindful self-compassion group pretty much weekly for the last, I would say, three or four years. So I, I share this because even though I know all this good foundational stuff and I have sort of changed my way of relating to myself, I need to constantly practice it. It's not intrinsic to who I am or, or sort of it's not, it's not my default. My default is actually to be hard on myself, just like my clients. And so it's a conscious, intentional, constant practice that I have to invite myself into. I would think that would be the same for pretty much everybody is unless you're a Buddhist monk. I, I, <laughs> I don't see how it would be anybody's default. 
It's true. It's funny because when I say, you know, I don't really have a niche, but my clients are people who care deeply and they're hard on themselves. Sometimes people are like, well, isn't that everyone? And I would say it's many of us, but it's not necessarily everyone. I do know some people who, for for whatever reason, it's a little easier for them to go to sort of the self-support or self-championing. But I, for a lot of us, and certainly for myself and for my clients, our default is to, is to put pressure and be hard on ourselves. As I was preparing for this podcast, for this conversation, I was thinking about an experience I had with a client of mine. And before I answer the, the nuts and bolts of what is self-compassion, I wanted to share this little story. I was working with a client, someone who is, you know, a well-established adult in their lives. You know, their life is well-established, a successful person um, in their career, someone who is, you know, advanced in their life has been through a lot of different experiences. And in our very first session, the client kind of had a question for themselves. And the question was, is it okay to like myself? Think about that for a second. Just see what comes up in you as you consider, you know, another human being asking that, is it okay to like myself? I felt very moved by this question. And self-compassion isn't about liking yourself. It's actually very much about the acceptance of the human experience. So the ups and the downs, the wins and the fails, uh, the messiness of what it is to be human. And actually, Dr. Kristen Neff, um, she says the goal is to be a compassionate mess. You know, and we obviously we don't want to be a mess. But the truth is that sometimes we are right because life is messy. And being human is complicated. Um, And we do have strengths and weaknesses. We have gifts and we also have limitations. And self-compassion really has us know that we are worthy of love and care no matter what's happening in our lives, no matter, you know, what mistakes we've made. And so this question of, is it okay to like myself, told me that we had some work to do in helping this person not just like themselves, but to know themselves fully, to know their wholeness, to like understand and accept themselves for their shortcomings as much as for the beautiful parts of them. Um, and really, it's all beautiful, right? And, and that's the key, to see it all, the wholeness of, of what it is to be human as beautiful and, and to normalize it. And so I'm also very interested in helping people validate and celebrate and claim their unique gifts, which to me is is very related to self-compassion, but it is a bit of a different thing. And I know we're going to talk about that later, but that's the self-championing piece that I believe is also really important. And it has so much to do with like recognizing that all of us have unique traits and qualities and gifts that help us contribute to the world. And if we don't accept ourselves and know that we're worthy in all of our messy, complicated humanness, then it's hard to actually claim and lean into those gifts. I think it's interesting when you said that we're all worthy of care. And I think when what I heard when you said that is we're all worthy of caring for ourselves. It isn't necessarily about having other people care for us or love us or validate us or tell us that we're okay, but really that we're worthy of of thinking that about ourselves. Absolutely. You know, the thing that is mind blowing to me is that most of us were not taught 
that we can be our own source of care and support. We need other people. Of course we do. We need to surround ourselves with with people who are supportive and caring in our lives, but that it can start with us, that we can be our own, you know, first line of support and care. I know I wasn't taught that, you know, growing up, most of us were taught um, the saying, you know, treat others the way that you would like to be treated. And that's great. But we're not taught to turn that around on ourselves. So treat yourself, relate to yourself the way that you treat people that you care about. And that really is the essence of self-compassion. It's treating yourself like you would a really wonderful friend, like the way that you treat someone that you, you care about deeply and, and starting to relate to yourself and care about yourself in that same way. So why is it so bloody hard? Mm, yeah. Well, you know, thinking about that beautiful, wonderful client and so many of my other clients, you know, there's a lot of things that kind of get in the way. And I know, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people feel almost a sense of shame talking about themselves or validating themselves. They think that, you know, oh, I don't want, I don't want to sound egotistical. And self-compassion is not at all about ego. It's not about bettering yourself in comparison to others or inflating yourself and putting others down. And I think that often is a barrier for some people. You know, some people really believe that, you know, it's noble to be modest or humble. And, and that's, that's fine if that's something you value. But there is a really big difference between bragging and overinflating and putting others down. There's a difference between that kind of energy and embracing who you are, you know, claiming your unique gifts, your strengths and caring for yourself. And again, that's what I'm so interested in. It's funny that so many people come to coaching and I need to really, I find, remind them that this is, this is the safest space for them to be honest. You know, like this isn't about ego. Your ego isn't here right now. You're not an egotistical person. Like most of my clients, that's, they're not concerned about making themselves better than other people. And so I really have to remind them, like, give yourself permission to really say what's true, to really celebrate yourself, to really see yourself. And, you know, it's funny, once once that safety is created, a lot of them will say things like, well, this might sound weird, but, or this might sound egotistical, but, and then what comes out of them next is a real nugget of wisdom about something they know about themselves, that they know to be true, that they're just blocking themselves from validating or exploring or celebrating in regular life because we're so we get so embarrassed taking pride in in our achievements and in who we are. So again, that kind of crosses over into the self-championing space, but I think self-compassion can be so hard for so many of us because again, we we want to do well, we want to be good. And a lot of us somehow we just sort of were taught from the way society works and from what we've internalized that I better be hard on myself. Like I've got to I can't rest on my laurels. Like for me to really be good and do good and, and reach my goals, I've got to kind of crack the whip. And I, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons why that's kind of become the norm. And, you know, hustle culture has a lot to say about that. But really, how would we treat a friend who was putting too much pressure on themselves? We would say, oh, my God, you're not a superhuman. You're just a regular human. You know, you're putting too much pressure on yourself. You're being unrealistic in your expectations about yourself. And that's 
the essence of self-compassion, giving ourselves the same love, care, understanding, kindness that we would give someone who we really care about. You know, when we see someone that we care about being self-destructive, we want to take a stand for them, right? And say, wow, like, this is not healthy for you. You're putting too much pressure on yourself. Come over here to where, like, let's remind you of what's realistic. You're only human. So I hear everything that you've said, but I think I still want to understand what exactly are the components of self-compassion. Self-compassion, as I said before, it's a way of relating to ourselves with these qualities of kindness, care, support, understanding, spaciousness, just as we would treat someone we care about. So it's like becoming our own best friend and also our own fierce friend, our own champion, right? And so self-compassion has three main components that all work together. So the first one is mindfulness. So mindfulness is, you know, about being present to what's really happening inside of us. Like what is happening? And it's about validating our emotions and the truth of things without overinflating or going to extremes, right? So, you know, compassion by definition is a response to suffering. So compassion, it arises in us when there, when someone is suffering. So self-compassion is when we're having a moment of struggle or suffering or challenge. And compassion for others is sort of a response to when someone else is suffering. So the mindfulness piece is like when we're going through a hard time, instead of pushing it down or just kind of covering up, covering it up with like, I'm fine, it's fine, it's okay. It's being honest about what's true. Actually, this is painful. This is this really hurts. I'm really embarrassed. This is really hard. So that's the mindfulness piece, being honest with ourselves about what's really going on. And also validating and accepting the pain and the struggle without resisting it or trying to control it or trying to make it go away. You know, so many of us want to fight these bad feelings or these feelings that we label as bad, but they're part of being human, right? So the mindfulness piece has us validate, like, it's okay, like, this is painful. Um, and I'm not, I'm going to be honest with myself about that. I'm going to allow this pain to be here because this is part of what it is to be human. And then the second component is loving kindness. So again, whether that's through our own self-talk, the way that we talk to ourselves, or through other things like soothing touch, which we can talk about later as a strategy, it's about giving ourselves the same care and support that we would give to someone else. And what would we say to a friend who's struggling, right? We would say things like, I'm so sorry, it's so painful right now. You know, I it makes sense that you're this upset because you really cared about this, this thing that happened and, and you've been hurt, you know, and we would say, is there anything I can do in this moment to help you, to support you? And we need to be able to kind of ask ourselves those same questions. It might sound funny if you've never, you know, related to yourself in that way before, but being able to ask ourselves like, wow, you're in pain. What can I do to help myself? Not to necessarily fix the pain in that moment, but just to help ourselves relax into it and bring some comfort so that we can feel supported. That really is what it's all about. To soothe ourselves. Exactly. To soothe ourselves. And even that concept, it took me a few years to really embrace that concept of self-soothing. Because again, I used to be someone who was like my clients, really, really hard on myself. And I, through many different types of practices, I'm very 
I, I love self-soothing practices. Like one of the, I talk about this all the time. One of the most simplest accessible ones is putting your hand on your heart. I mean, if you're listening, you can do this right now. I have my hand on my heart right now. And you can even put two hands on your heart and just feeling the warmth of your own touch, allowing yourself to just take a second and breathe. And with that feeling of, of just support and care, you're actually like changing the physiology in your body, right? You're, you're releasing oxytocin and those, those feel good hormones, those hormones that speak to support and care. And so, yeah, self-soothing has become an, a daily tool and like a resilience tool really for me, as well as, you know, changing the way that I, that I actually talk to myself. So that's the second component. And then the third component is common humanity. And the common humanity piece is what reminds us that I'm not alone. Like a lot of us, when we're suffering or we're in pain, we tend to isolate ourselves, right? Or even belittle ourselves. Like, why am I feeling this way? I'm such a loser. The common humanity piece reminds us that pain, suffering, challenge is part of living a human life and that everybody goes through stuff like this. I'm not alone. Just like me, other people go through hard times and it actually connects us to each other rather than isolate us from each other. And so it's actually a really important piece because sometimes people think, oh, self-compassion, isn't that like self-indulgent or too self-focused? And actually, no, it's so human. It reminds us of our humanity. It links us to other people and to that common um, experience of, of going through struggle and hard times. And then there's two central questions that we ask ourselves with, with mindful self-compassion. What do I need right now? And then the sort of sister question to that that I love is, what do I need to hear right now? Sometimes when we're really having a moment of, of struggle or pain, asking ourselves, what do I need to hear right now? And then actually providing those words to ourselves, like even in our, in our own heads, can be so soothing. You know, sometimes you just need to hear you're doing the best you can, you know, and we say that to other people, but to be able to say it to ourselves can be really soothing. And then the second central question is, how would I treat a friend? Really being able to take a pause and consider, how would I treat a friend going through the exact same thing that I'm going through right now? And then giving yourself permission to treat yourself that way. Have you noticed in your practice that it's harder for some people to develop self-compassion skills? Because it sounds like it's, it's a, as you mentioned, a mindset shift, but a skill as well. Has it been harder for people who identify as women than, say, people who identify as men? The truth is, again, with my clients, because of the nature of, again, these are people who they just care so much. They care. They can't not care. I find it, it's across the board. But what I notice is sometimes it shows up differently. So with people who have grown up or have been socialized as women, there tends to be a lot of martyrdom. And I have my hand up like guilty of this as well. A lot of women are socialized to always put others before ourselves. And a lot of us take this too far like so far that we never consider our own needs or our own feelings or our own struggles. I do a lot of work with women around this. And 
with that client that I mentioned before, there was, we had to do a lot of foundational work around boundary setting and having this person connect to themselves, like beyond their mind, like connect to their body and actually start identifying like, what's my body showing me that I need? Because we can't respond to our needs if we don't know what they are, right? We really need to allow space for our humanness. Like we have to really get to know ourselves, all these different parts of ourselves. So yeah, with women, there's there's a lot of sort of like working through this tendency to be modest and and think of others before we think of ourselves. And the flip is, you know, that I think is so important is that in order for us to care for others and and give others what they need, we need to be full and well taken care of. Like our needs need to be tended to so that we're showing up as our fullest, best, most rested selves, I like to say. And so we need to respond to our needs and we need to know that we're worthy of giving ourselves the care that we give others. And then I find with, you know, with people who have been socialized as men, there's a lot of, you know, they feel they should buck up they should push through suffering is or having these moments of suffering is for the weak kind of thing. Like, the, you know, these are stereotypes with a lot of men. I find that there's um, this sense of like never good enough. You know, it's never enough. And again, we need to kind of like take it back to their wholeness, their humanness and remind them that like no one is perfect. You're not a robot. <laughs> Perfectionism is it's a lie. It doesn't exist. You know, you're only human. And we deserve the same understanding and spaciousness and care that we give other people. We deserve to have room to to make mistakes and then to recover from them. So yeah, it really is across the board. On this idea of martyrdom, I have a personal example that just happened last week. There's a boundary that I set for myself in terms of how much communication I was going to have with somebody who showed up in my life in the last little while. And the boundary was there to protect me, right? To preserve my well-being. I decided I, I really can't have a lot of contact with this person. And something happened and um, I felt compassion for this person's situation. But what I wanted to do in that moment was cross my boundary and almost reach out too far to that person. And the reach out would have been hurting me. It would have been crossing the boundary so that I could give to that person but I knew that it probably wouldn't be very healthy for me. And my sister-in-law, Amy, who is a teacher of mindful self-compassion, she's my teacher, and she's also, we co-lead a self-compassion retreat together. She had to remind me, she had to sit me down. She became my fierce friend in that moment. And she said, Jenny, if you cross that boundary that you set for yourself in the name of compassion, for this other person, it's actually not compassionate because if, if something hurts you, if something hurts your well-being, then that's actually an act of martyrdom. That's not an act of compassion. The compassionate response is what's healthy and caring and compassionate for all. And it was just, it was so powerful to have that reminder because again, I, I, I tend to have a bit of a bleeding heart for people. And sometimes that has me cross my own boundaries. But self-compassion reminds us that we matter, like our care and our well-being matters just as much as everybody else's. And so I just, I thought it was really powerful to have that reminder, even though I'm like this perpetual student of self-compassion, I'm still human, you know, and sometimes I do need those outside reminders. 
You say that self-compassion is not the same thing as self-championing, but that they're both important for us to have to thrive in life and in work. What do you mean by this? What, what's the difference? Well, they're definitely related and they have some crossover. But the reason why I like to pull them apart is because, again, compassion by definition is a response to suffering and pain, right? So that those moments of struggle in our lives. And it's about respecting ourselves enough to care and champion ourselves through struggle. So we do need some self-championing or some self-appreciation to be able to care for ourselves enough through those moments of struggle. But what I want for, for all of us is to celebrate ourselves always, you know, on the regular, not just when we're struggling. So I can see in working with my clients, the importance of celebrating, validating, and even really like taking time to explore and acknowledge when things are going well, when we've done something we're proud of. I really want people to give themselves permission to celebrate and give attention to those wonderful qualities, those wonderful achievements, or just even areas of growth, just as we spend time on trying to fix the things that we see as problems in our lives. So I see them as different, you know, and I work with people in really being able to claim their unique gifts. Sometimes people get very uncomfortable when I talk about like, what are your unique gifts? Because again, people don't want to like, well, I'm no better than anyone else, but it's not about being better than anyone else. I believe that all of us were born with these innate qualities and gifts that help us contribute to the world, that help us make a difference in the world and in other people's lives. And if we don't allow ourselves to see and understand and claim what those qualities are, you can't lean into them, right? You won't be able to really use them to their fullest. And so self-championing, we need it when we're going through struggle, like taking a stand for ourselves and for, and what's important for, you know, in our lives. But I also want us to be able to do it when things are going well and when we want to motivate ourselves towards our goals and our dreams um, and our growth and our evolution. The more time we spend almost like making a meal out of it for ourselves, and I do this with clients in a session, like I'll pull them back. They'll want to focus on problems and step right over the thing that's going well. And I'll pull them back and I'll be like, we need to explore this. Like give yourself a moment to, to say what you're proud of. And by doing that, you kind of solidify for yourself what you're made of. And the next time you are going through a moment of struggle, you're going to remember, oh, yeah, this is who I am. This is what I'm made of. And it actually helps us be more resilient. What does that look like, practically speaking, in our day-to-day life to self-champion? What's the difference between just being a self-champion in our minds (laughs) and practically doing it without sounding like we have a big ego? I think that's a question that a lot of people struggle with, actually. Like, how can I champion myself without sounding like I have an ego? I think, first of all, the self-championing has to start on the inside, just like everything else. Like, it has to start on the inside. And so I really encourage my clients to celebrate their wins. Just decide for yourself that it is safe and non-egotistical to do this for yourself. And this can look many different ways. I mean, in a safe coaching space, it really is the place to just be like, be able to really lean into all this stuff that you're proud of. But you could do this by journaling. You could do this even just intentionally by taking a moment at the end of every week 
and sitting down and reflecting on what went well. What am I proud of? I had a client who was a leader in his workplace and he ended up doing this as a practice for himself every week. It was both for himself, but also for his team. So he actually like brought it in. Like, so the whole team could celebrate like what went well, what are we proud of together, which can be so connecting, you know, so motivating, but you can do this for yourself. Like if you don't feel comfortable enough doing that with someone in your life, like maybe your partner or someone, you know, you really care about if you could, you know, it would be great if you could say, can I just, I really need a moment to celebrate myself. Can I share what I'm proud of? Then write it down you know, create a journaling practice, or just create a practice out of it. But it's about being intentional and giving attention to what's going well. I think we want to give so much attention to what's not going well. And the invitation here is to give just as much attention to what is right to to be proud of who you are, and really solidify that for yourself so that when you're out there living your life, Like, I just believe it comes out of you more. Like when you've solidified that, if you go out into the world and you're just so full of your shortcomings and focusing on your shortcomings, that's what's going to come out of you. When you are so full up on your strengths, your gifts, your ability to like contribute and make a difference in the world, then that's what's going to come out of you. You work a lot with companies. And so I want to ask you, how can we apply self-compassion to our roles as leaders in the workplace? I work ultimately with human beings and leaders are human beings. I think sometimes, you know, people who are in leadership roles think that they're supposed to be superhuman or have all the answers or never make mistakes. And that's a disservice that you're doing to yourself. You're leading yourself down that path of, of, um, you know, of self-criticism and kind of self-oppression. So leaders can put a lot of pressure on themselves, right? They think they have to have all the answers. I had a client who was so distraught over having to give some constructive feedback to someone on their team about a skill that they needed to improve on because the leader themselves weren't strong in that skill. So there was a lot of shame and criticism happening for that person, right? They're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to tell this person that they need to improve in this area when I'm actually not very good in this area? But really, they're just a human being too. Like no one is superhuman and we all have growth areas. We all, and like learning and growth is such a beautiful opportunity in life. So when leaders can bring self-compassion to themselves, it actually increases their capacity to do it for other people. So again, compassion is concerned with this alleviation of suffering and struggle, right? Our own and and others. And leaders are leading human beings. So even though there's projects and work that needs to be done, when you're a leader, you're usually having to manage a lot of people stuff. People come to you with their problems and their struggles. And in order to be able to be helpful to them, you need to be emotionally stable and grounded, you know, and that often requires self-compassion. Because if my client just continued to be hard on themselves for not being good at that skill, and so how now am I going to give the feedback? Like, that just would have sent them into a spiral of shame. And usually from that place of fear, we're not showing up as our best selves to have those hard conversations. Right. So a lot of self-compassion of like, I'm human, too. Maybe I could even share some of some of that humanness with this person on my team to invite both of us to that. It's safe to learn, to grow, to make mistakes. You know, leaders have to do hard things and have hard conversations and they need to be able to do this without judgment 
of themselves or the other person. It's very common to judge, but we kind of have to really put that in check. And we have to come from a place of compassion, both for ourselves and the other person when we're sitting in the discomfort of a difficult conversation. And a lot of, you know, a lot of leaders, a lot of human beings have this need to be liked, right? I don't want, I don't want to disappoint someone else. I want them to like me. And so it can feel really threatening or painful when we have to give hard news or have tough conversations. And so self-compassion can be so key in those moments because the leader, you know, the person who has to deliver the hard news can say to themselves, like, this is really hard. I don't want to hurt this other person. This is uncomfortable. This is painful and validate that experience and then remind themselves, okay, this is part, this is part of the job. All leaders have to do hard things. I'm going to be the most compassionate to myself through this experience and to the other person. And again, just bringing our humanity into some of this stuff instead of sort of a command and control type of energy is kind of where we're going, you know, as the world continues to change. Bringing more of our humanity into the workplace, I think, is a really is a shift that can be slow in some in some places, but I think that it's really happening. You know, I think it's interesting when you talk about trying to to find the humanity when we're managing people or being a leader. I still wonder, though, and it's something I find a challenge, is how to be compassionate towards others and, you know, to ourselves without it just sort of turning into letting myself or letting someone else in my life off the hook for bad behavior. And it's something that I... I notice just even being a parent, you know, and not wanting to to helicopter parent too much and not wanting to let my kid get off with things that really they they need to be held accountable for. You know, how do we show compassion and be compassionate towards ourselves without just kind of being overly soft, for lack of a better word, on other people? So self-compassion isn't about being soft. Okay. It's it's truly about bringing that care. And sometimes care looks like taking a stand for somebody's well-being, right? And as parents, kids are learning about the world. They don't necessarily know what's actually good for them and bad for them. That's our job, you know, to kind of lead them in that way. And so compassion doesn't have us go soft on our rules or our boundaries or giving in. It has us actually take a stand for those rules and those things that we put in place for the well-being of our children, right? But how we can be compassionate is like when your kid is disappointed that, no, we can't go to the park this afternoon. I know you were excited to do that, but the plans have changed. The compassion piece is validating their pain in that, validating their struggle in that. You're, oh, you're really disappointed. I, I so get it. I really see it. That makes sense. Makes sense you're disappointed. You were expecting that we were going to go to the park and the plan has changed and that's really tough. You know, it's like that validating piece is so important, the being with the pain of it, but still holding the limit. But we're, we're not going to do that. And then it's like bringing that care and comfort kind of with that energy of like, how can I help? How can I help you feel better? I know with my daughter, it's a lot of like, usually bringing in a distraction with something silly or fun just sort of is the help that she usually needs to be able to to move through that tough moment. So self-compassion actually invites us to take responsibility for our actions and for our boundaries. 
and even our mistakes, right? It, it has us take responsibility and learn from them because we care enough about ourselves to want to do better. And the research shows that self-compassion leads people to take more responsibility for their actions, not less, right? Because again, we're having realistic expectations of ourselves and we can appreciate when we've made a mistake or we can appreciate when we've, we've shown up in a way that isn't the way we really want to be. Like, you know, I know with my daughter, all parents, we want to be calm and we want to be present with our kids. And sometimes we just lose our patience and we can explode. And that's such a common experience. And in the past, I used to go into a very shameful place when that would happen. And now I just, you know, I put my hand on my heart. I remind myself like, wow, this is a tough moment. You have been holding so much that that was sort of the last straw and you blew up. But I remind myself that it's okay to mess up, but now I've got to take responsibility and I need to recover from this. I will apologize to my child for, you know, an outburst or reacting, you know, I'll sort of say that wasn't okay, but here's what's not okay in your behavior, you know, like here's the limit, here's the boundary. And so we're still holding, we're still holding our boundaries. We're not being soft. We're not letting ourselves or, or our children off the hook. But the compassion piece allows for, for all of the humanness, all of the messiness in that process. What keeps you feeling hopeful and optimistic? What's showing up a lot right now in my life and also with my clients is actually the topic of authenticity, which is another area that I'm just so fascinated to keep diving into. Like, what is authenticity? Like, being true to ourselves, knowing what that sense of sort of like who we really are and living a life that matches. That's coming up a lot with clients now that like, I think, you know, post pandemic, we hear this all the time, like people are really taking stock of what really matters to them, what really works for them in their lives and what doesn't work for them. And they're wanting to, you know, lean into and kind of build their lives around those things that really work for them. I think people are more interested in living authentically versus living the way that maybe they thought they were supposed to live pre-pandemic. So there's, you know, this is very interesting to me. And it, I do find that hopeful and inspiring. And it, it just kind of like really gets me jazzed to work with people to help them figure out how do I live more authentically? And when, you know, how do I live with more meaning? At the end of my life, how will I know that I lived a meaningful life and a life that felt right and felt good to me, not necessarily by other people's standards. I do think there is more permission these days to be a full, whole human and be honest about our setbacks as much as we talk about our achievements. And yeah, that's what keeps me hopeful. The fact that like we can just bring more humanness to our relationships with people, to the workplace. I really hope that, that we'll keep moving in that direction and that human beings will continue to ask, like, how can I live with meaning, with purpose? And that often has to do with, with a contribution that we're able to make to the world. And that doesn't have to be in big ways. In fact, I'm, I'm more interested in the small ways that we're able to do that just by being who we are. And that requires self-compassion, in my opinion. Certified professional coach Jenny Triansky has been my guest today. Jenny, thank you so much for coming back and speaking with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. 
For more about this episode, go to lifespeak.com slash podcast.